Amen. You guys can have a seat. Hope you're well today. Well, if you're with us online or you're here for the first time, uh, know that we're so glad you're with us today. I know last week we had uh, the privilege to hear from my father-in-law, uh, who's been in ministry for over 40 years. And one of the things that I've been so thankful for with, uh, with him specifically uh, is how he has given uh, me a visible picture of what it looks like to be a faithful pastor while also being a faithful husband and a faithful father. Uh, and so what that practically looks like for me is that I'm first a follower of Christ, uh, I'm second a husband to Kelly, my wife, uh, and third I'm a father to my kids, and then fourth I'm a pastor to New City Church. Uh, and something that Kelly's dad has said uh, often that has kind of stuck with me is that if he won the entire city to Christ but lost his family, what good has he done? You know, New City Church, uh, many of you will come and go, but in, in 30 years from now, uh, by God's grace, if I'm still pastoring New City Church like I hope to be doing, uh, the people who will still be in my life, by God's grace, are my wife and my kids. You know, I love and pray for each of you by name regularly. You know, I want to uh, serve each of you well, but my wife and my kids are more important to me than you. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't apologize or feel bad about that. Uh, and Pastor Ricky last week was a visible picture to us uh, and to me of just that, because what he did not tell you is that before he preached last week, uh, he kept his grandkids all week long uh, and fixed a bunch of things in our house uh, that I had neglected, unfortunately, while me and my wife Kelly went to a conference and we got away for a few days. And so I'm thankful that he stepped in last week and served each of us far more than we may realize. Um, you know, last week, Pastor Ricky brought us through the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, which is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, because as we saw last week, it shows us that each of us are fragile clay pots. Like our very lives, we're just not that impressive. <laughs> uh, we're chipped, broken, and dusty jars of clay. But yet, uh, although we're chipped and broken jars of clay, we hold an incredible treasure uh, that puts the power of God on full display. And what can't be un misunderstood or missed is that incredible treasure is Jesus Christ. And because we believe in Jesus and all that he's done for us by living the life that we could not live and dying the death uh, that we deserve, uh, on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and then defeating death by being raised from the dead, when we believe in the good news of Jesus that we call the gospel, we immediately hold a special treasure. And Jesus is our treasure. And having this treasure of Jesus, as we've seen throughout this series, it changes us. It transforms us. And one of the many ways it changes us uh, is that the gospel of Jesus gives us hope. You know, following a list of rules and regulations don't give us hope. They just show us how we're going to eventually fail. You know, our hope is found in Jesus and nothing else. And today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we're diving into this hope, but more specifically our future hope. Uh, there's so many things around us that we cling to, but the only true, eternal, and lasting hope we have, it's found in Jesus. You know, there's so many false hopes that we're tempted to cling to that are so easily found in this world, whether it be status uh, or relationships or our appearance, our stuff, our financial security, our indulgences, our job, our education, whatever it may be. We could go on and on about this. But what I want us to see that the Apostle Paul shows us today is that our hope is not found in this world. Our hope is found in heaven. Our hope is found in our heavenly home where God dwells. Our, our hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And one of the things our hope gets us, that it provides us, that we're longing for, our hope gets us out of this painful world and into, and into God's eternal presence. 
It gets us into our future home, which leads us to our main idea for today. New City Church, this world is not our home. New City Church, this world is not our home. Our hope is not found in this world. Our hope is found in the next. You know, Paul has been writing to this church. You know, he was struggling. He's been struggling. He's in anguish. He's, in, he's been in tears while he's been painfully reminded of the brokenness of the world, knowing that our lives are clay pots. Right? They get, we get cracked and chipped. We get battered and bruised. We're often wandering and, wandering and weary. And in the great chapter 5, Paul reminds us of where this great treasure of Jesus Christ, where it takes us. You know, Jesus Christ, uh, he takes us, when we believe in him, to our heavenly home. Like, Jesus Christ is our ticket to an eternity with God. I think we all get this idea of a ticket. Uh, in order to get into an event or a place, we need a ticket, oftentimes. If you don't have a ticket, you're not getting in. And what the Bible clearly tells us is that believing in Jesus is our ticket to heaven. It's Jesus Christ and it's nothing else. It's not Jesus plus being a nice person. Uh, It's not Jesus plus a joyful attitude. It's not Jesus plus baptism uh, or not sinning uh, as much as we did before. It's faith in Jesus alone. And when we know this incredible truth and know that our eternity is secure with Christ, it provides for us an incredible hope for us right now. Like our ticket to heaven uh, doesn't only get us into heaven to be with God forever, it also affects us and it changes us and it transforms us right here on this earth today before we ever get there, before we ever get to heaven. And then, you know, this idea of heaven has been popularized by uh, our modern culture. Most people have some sort of thought of what heaven will be like. Uh, And I'm not going to get into all that. That's not the purpose of today. Uh, But the basic general consensus among among most people, this isn't always the case, but among most people believe that heaven is good and hell is bad. Uh, Like if you walk to someone on the street and you ask them, would you rather go to heaven or hell? I think most likely they would say heaven. Like That's where they would want to go. And for the Christian, for the people who trust in Jesus, there's an incredible hope that comes with having a sense of security and complete confidence in where you'll end up. When this life ends, you know, when we're absolutely certain of our eternal destiny, having complete confidence that faith in Jesus is our ticket to heaven, it radically changes us in the here and now. And if it doesn't change us at all, if it doesn't change us, it's maybe because we don't understand the ticket that we hold in our hands. Uh, Because when we realize that this life that we live in is only a small, minor speck in light of eternity... Uh, When we live with eternity in view, our mindset in this life, it often changes. And in our passage today, Paul reminds us of our heavenly hope, uh, this hope that fuels us to endure and to press on in this weary world uh, right now. So we're going to go ahead and read the entire passage in uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 1 through 15. Um, On the back, you know, the back half of our passage, it'll bleed it kind of in the next week as we uh, kind of get into Easter. But let's go ahead and read it. Follow along with me starting in verse 1 in chapter 5. This is what it says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we uh, are away from the Lord. 
For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you calls to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake dies and was raised. So I'm going to stop there for today. Again, New City Church, our, our big idea today is that this world is not our home. And because of that, we have several implications that we'll see from our text uh, that affect us here and now. Um, you know, I'm going to kind of give those to you in more detail as we go, but just as a kind of a, of a quick teaser, they're not going to be up on the screen, um, but I've just got three short phrases. Uh, New City Church says the world is not our home, so we groan, uh, we're encouraged, or we're courageous, excuse me, and we persuade others. Uh, so three phrases, we groan, we're courageous, and we persuade others. But before we get to those three implications, I want to first uh, dive into our first verse that directs us to our main idea. Let's look at that again. Look at verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, uh, but Paul's job outside of preaching the gospel was to be a tent maker. Like he made tents which were used as temporary homes, like maybe for sailors or for those coming in and out of Corinth for different reasons. You know, I don't know if we have many campers in the room today, but I think we kind of get this idea of tents. Uh, they provide shelter. Uh, they're useful, for ca- useful in camping, uh, but they also have their limitations. You know, growing up in, uh, as a kid in Boy Scouts uh, and also when I was in college going on longer hiking trips, uh, I spent many nights in tents which also meant I've spent many nights being cold uh, or hot uh, or wet, waking up wet, uh, or just uncomfortable. Now, I love camping. I really do. Um, I promise. But, it, you know, it provides fun and adventure. Uh, you get to bathe in the river, uh, see some awesome things if you get lucky. Um, you get to, you know, make friends. You share a meal with some crazy wildlife like bears and raccoons. And uh, now, Cantuna... And mashed potatoes, like they have a sweet spot in my heart. Um, it's kind of the, the Appalachian Trail slop is what we called it. Um, but the raccoons, they love it too. But let's be real with ourselves. Uh, spending a night in the tent with smelly men, bears, and raccoons is a little different than a night at the Marriott with my wife. Uh, tents are temporary. They have limitations. And without fail, almost every time I sleep in a tent, I can't wait to get home and be in my own bed. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But taking a nap after a, a, after a camping trip, those are the absolute best naps. You know, your bed, for some reason, it just becomes infinitely better. It becomes much better, you know, after a few nights of sleeping on the ground with a rock shoved into your back. And Paul uh, is equating our bodies that we now have, he's equating these to temporary tents. So Paul, in chapter 4, uh, he said we were clay pots, uh, and now he's switched metaphors, uh, and now he's, he's nicely uh, equating our earthly bodies to tents, to a temporary home. 
And in verse 1, he reminds us that this life that we live is temporary. And as soon as our life as Christ's followers ends, we have hope for a permanent home, a, a building from God that's eternal. And so if you've trusted in Jesus, be encouraged today. Be reminded that our life and our bodies that we have right now, they're only temporary. Again, New City Church, this, this world is not our home. We're just passing through it. You know, these bodies that we spend so much time uh, thinking about and looking at, uh, they, they will not last. They will one day vanish, uh, and they will, and they are decaying. <laughs> uh, so be encouraged by that. Uh, but as soon as our earthly bodies vanish, those who trust in Jesus Christ are given new eternal bodies. We're given a permanent body. And what I want us to see today, as I said I would, are the implications for living with eternity in view, knowing that we're just passing through this life. We don't live for this world, we live for the next. Like our life on this planet is, is a speck in light of eternity. And so our life we live right now, it's not the main event. It's a short preview to the show. Our life right now is like the warm-up to a game. I mean, just think about it. How silly would it be uh, for someone to be at a, go to a basketball game uh, or a baseball game and watch the warm-up, you know, kind of watch them stretch, do a few light drills, uh, and then just leave before the game ends? Thinking that that was the main event. Uh, like you get a ticket to the final four, you watch them stretch and warm up, you scream and yell, you cheer them on, you spend all your money uh, for the warm up before the game starts, and then you just leave. You go home. And, and that's essentially what we do when all of our focus is on this life that we live right now. Our life that we're living right now is just an appetizer to the main event, it's the warm up. We're in a temporary home. Our temporary, uh, our temporary home, it has a purpose. Uh, but let's be honest here. Sometimes it gets a little hot and uncomfortable uh, and can feel like we have a rock shoved into our back uh, all night long. Our temporary tent, it has a purpose, uh, but we don't focus all of our attention on it. Our attention, our effort, and our investments should be focused on our permanent home. And as I said, many times we'll see today that this affects us right now. So look again, starting in verse 2. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he says next. He says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Uh, did you see what he said there? He said, while we're in this tent, while we're in this temporary home, uh, in this temporary life, what do we do? We groan. He said it twice in verse 2 and in verse 4. In verse 4, he said, while we're in, still in this tent, we groan being burdened. And then in verse 2, he said, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, which leads us to our first implication. Uh, very simply, number one, this world is not our home, and so we groan. We're burdened. Like we have a longing deep down inside of each of us that knows that this world is not the way it ought to be. We know we sometimes get rocks shoved into our back while we're trying to sleep uh, in this temporary tent, and so we groan. We not only have a longing, uh, uh, knowing this world isn't right, but we also have a longing to be in the next world. Like we cry out, Jesus, come soon. Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, bring me home. And we have such an incredible heavenly hope that there's a longing and a groaning to want to be there with that hope, in that hope. And we know that we're in this temporary home, this temporary tent, that it often leaves us hot or cold or wet or uncomfortable, giving us sleepless nights. But we also know uh, we have an incredible home that awaits us. 
because we know both the brokenness of this world and also the incredible greatness of the next. And so we long and we groan. And when we think of this groaning and this longing, I think the best way to think of it is when we're hungry, like when our stomachs groan for food. Uh, the way you feel when you're hungry, you long and you yearn to eat. Or maybe think of it like a small child that waits to, be, uh, to open up uh, presents at Christmas. And the waiting is often hard and agonizing. And the reason they long and groan is because they want the present. They long for what they don't yet have. And so we, as followers of Christ, we know that our present world is broken, but yet the world ahead of us is infinitely better. And so we groan and long for the next world. You know, every person on this planet, deep down inside of them, has a longing, knowing this world is not the way it ought to be, that it should be a different way. And what the good news of the gospel tells us is that Jesus came to this world and went to the cross to suffer and die so that longing could be satisfied both now and into eternity. But what we know because our world is still broken today, is that it won't be fully satisfied until we see Jesus face to face, until we get on the other side of eternity. We live uh, in this already not yet reality, uh, that Jesus is already our hope, that he has already righted every wrong fully and completely for those who trust in Jesus, but it has not yet been fully realized. When we watch the news, when we experience relational strife, when we experience hunger or thirst, when our, when our health fails, or when work is not fun, or when family life is hard, we, we know that there's a longing and there's a groaning for it to be made right. And the very important yet significant, significant difference that Christians have in the longing and in the groaning is hope. We've got a ticket in our hand. And faith in Jesus Christ is our ticket. Jesus Christ is our hope. We know that this life is hard, but we have a hope that one day it will all vanish and end when there will be no more pain or crying or tears. And we will no longer groan and long for what's to come, but rather we will, be full, we will fully enjoy it with every longing fully satisfied. And as verse 5 shows us, this is what it says. Look, at, look, look what it says. It says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Just listen, listen up here. So God is preparing us, and he has prepared us to live in this world, but yet to also live for the next. And God's Spirit is our guarantee of that promise. And this is so good for us to remember. The Spirit of God moving in and through us the Spirit of God that changes us and is shaping us, that provides peace and love and joy and patience and kindness, it is our, our guarantee. It's the evidence of our faith. God's Spirit working in our life that is noticed by us and others around us is a visible picture for us that we hold that ticket. It's our guarantee, as Paul says. Paul has reminded us that this world is not our home that our life here is temporary, that we have a longing and we have a groaning to be in the next world, and that God has given us his spirit as our helper and a guarantee. And look what he says next uh, in verses 6 to 9. This is what it says. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. I love that. 
He said, because of everything we just, we've just talked about prior to this, you know, to get that idea that our life is temporary, showing that we live for another world, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. Because of that, because of all of that, we're of good courage. We're of good courage. We're courageous, which leads us to our second implication. Number two, this world is not our home, and so we are courageous. Paul said it twice. He said it in verse 6 and verse 8. We're of good courage. People who live in light of eternity, knowing that we don't live for this world, but for the next, we do courageous things. As Paul said in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. And y'all, that takes courage. What seems safe is to walk by sight. What takes courage is to walk in faith. I mean, who doesn't want more courage? Do you remember the cowardly lion uh, from the Wizard of Oz? What did he want? Say it back. What did he want? Courage. Right? He wanted courage. Uh, We love to hear and read courageous stories. People looking at fear in the eyes and mustering up the strength to face our fears. And you know who should be some of the most courageous people on this planet? Christians. Having courage doesn't mean we don't have fears, right? Being courageous is looking at our fears and taking action in spite of them. Courage is strength in the face of fear. It's strength in the face of danger or grief or difficulty. Courage, it takes us out of our comfort zones. And Christians of all people should be some of the most courageous people on the planet because we know that this world is not our home and we live for another world. We live for a different world. And we can say with complete and utter confidence, like you can take my car, you can take my house, all my comfort, my money, my reputation, my social status, and even my very life because this world is not what the world that we live for. Because this world is but a speck in light of eternity. And when we think of that, and we realize that consistently, all of a sudden God starts to reorient our life and our desires. It changes the way we think of our money and our resources. We realize that the best use of our money is for eternal purposes and not for our comforts. That's a courageous mindset shift that happens. When we realize our life is not for this world but for another, God instills courage into the hearts and lives of his people to sell all they have, leave their comforts, their family, what they know, and to move to a part of the world that does not know the name of Jesus, that they do not know, where they don't speak the language, where our everyday comforts where don't exist. But yet it's for the advancement of the gospel, for eternal causes. And so God instills courage to the Christian to do just that. Because we know that we don't live for this world, we live for the next. Or, or when, we, when we're trying to plan for the future and we don't know what's next, God makes us courageous to be patient when we want an answer now. Or on the flip side, God makes us courageous to step into a situation that seems God-honoring and yet makes no sense. And then also, when we keep eternity in view, God instills the courage to confess our sin, to not keep things in the dark, to not live a two-faced life. It takes courage to show our real, authentic selves, to show that we're messy and broken. And on the flip side of that, on the flip side of being courageous, is being cowardly. And I know I'm about to step on some toes right now, uh, including my own, because we all do this at some point. But you know what's cowardly is putting on a mask and pretending to be someone that we're not. Saying our life is fine when in reality we know it's really not. It takes courage to be vulnerable. And authentic. It takes courage to tell the truth. 
when you know that the consequences of the truth might not go in your favor. It takes courage to dive into community when it's often easier just to keep people out. It takes courage to share Christ with a friend or to talk about your faith when you know they may reject you or they might just think you're kind of (laughs) weird. It takes courage to say no to something uh, that might not be necessarily bad, but it's not what's best. We could go on and on and on about this. But one of the most empowering things about knowing that our life is temporary is that it makes us bold and courageous and it helps us to walk in faith. Because we know that this life is temporary and that we're just passing through it. We don't have to worry about our reputation or the way people think of us in this life because in the, li- in the, in the next life, the life that we focus on, <laughs> this is our reputation. Our, our reputation in the next life is dearly loved, unconditionally accepted, and infinitely valued. And you know what? In this world, that is, not an, that is not always the case. That's not always our reputation by others around us. But yet that's already completely uh, true by God, by believing in Jesus Christ. Like right now for the Christian, you're dearly loved, unconditionally accepted, and infinitely valued by God right now in this world. Brothers and sisters, this is such good news for us. We can be courageous in this world because no matter what happens in this life, our permanent and forever home with God is eternally, and, uh, is eternally safe and secure where every wrong will be made right. I mean, how good is that? Every wrong made right. And then Paul, in verse 10, he gives us something to chew on. Uh, look what he says in verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know, this verse uh, is both perplexing and astounding. Uh, and to be, honest, to be frank with you, there's, there's disagreements on this verse, uh, but I want to make clear today what is clear, what seems to be clear. And I want you to look at this again. We, we see that every person, both Christian and non-Christian, he says, we must all, all, every single person, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In essence, we will be judged by Jesus. We know that from the rest of the Bible, every single person on this planet will be judged by God. Like there's a judgment seat is what it says. And then he says that each person will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And to put it directly, we will be judged based off of our deeds. What we did and what we did not do in this life, both good and evil. And for the Christian, this is why we're so thankful for Jesus. Because there are a lot of things that we've done that were evil that we will be judged for. And what is due for us for those evil deeds, it's not good. The Bible is very clear. What is due for us is an eternity separated from God. And because we have faith in Jesus, God judges us based off of based off Jesus's, Jesus's deeds. And when you see Jesus face to face, he will either say, I know you or I do not know you. Those who have faith in Jesus, who he knows, will enter into his kingdom. And those who, do, uh, who, who he does not know, they will not enter into his kingdom, but rather will tragically be turned away into an eternity in hell. That's tragic. It's, it's, it, this is tragic. This is one of the many reasons why the gospel, though, is such good news. Because when we place faith in Jesus, we're judged by Jesus' record and not ours. 
I mean, Jesus fully took our evil deeds at the cross. Salvation is by faith alone through grace alone. The scriptures are very, very clear about this. Our deeds uh, do not save us. Only faith in Jesus saves us. I want to make sure that's clear. Uh, Because what this verse... uh, However, what this verse, as well as what others, as others in, in both Paul and Jesus' writing seem to also indicate, is that once we enter into heaven, like once we're there, once we've made it through, by grace through faith in Jesus, uh, there seems to be evidence that there will also be rewards in heaven. Jesus says often, he says to lay up our treasures in heaven. You know, Ephesians 6, 8, uh, Paul says, whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely and say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward, your rewards are great in heaven. And so what is very clear in scripture is that in heaven, once we're there, there will be rewards. And what Paul seems to be indicating in verse 10 is that those rewards will be based off of what we've done. Now, I want to be clear again, as I said before, there are disagreements upon trusted scholars on this. Some thinking some will get extra rewards based off of what, they, uh, what, what was done in their life. And others thinking everybody will be rewarded in heaven equally. So kind of you hear that idea of there'll be uh, crowns in heaven, more crowns in heaven. Uh, but I tend to think the scriptures lean more clearly towards varying rewards. But honestly, I could be persuaded either way on this. I guess we'll have to find out when we get there. Um, y'all can debate that later if you want, if there'll be uh, varying rewards or all equal rewards. Um, but the tension we need to hold here is that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. That is very clear. And also how we live out our faith in this life now, it also deeply matters. How we live now is the evidence of our faith. It's the spirit working through our life. And because of that, Paul says what he says next in verses 11 to 15. And we're going to cover part of this uh, next week, but I want to read all of it now. Okay, look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you calls to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we are besides ourselves. It is for God. Uh, if If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have, all, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In verse 11, Paul said, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then he goes on to further uh, defend his apostleship, saying God knows who we are. We don't boast about our outward appearance, but rather what's in the heart. And then he goes into the resurrection, which we're going to look at next week for Easter, praise God. But for today, this is so important for us as we go into our Easter service next week. If, if we keep eternity in view, longing and groaning for the next world full of courage, the last outworking of what we see of that today is that we see that number three, this world is not our home, so we persuade others. Y'all, we groan and we long for the next world and we want others around us to come with us to experience these incredible rewards that will be in heaven. 
Knowing that the judgment seat of Christ will come for every single person on the planet. And so therefore, brothers and sisters, we courageously overcome our fears and we beg and we plead and we seek uh, to persuade others to follow Jesus. We persuade others not with our own wit or our own intelligence, but by simply presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow the power of God to open up blind eyes. We can courageously stumble and bumble over our words as we seek to share Christ uh, because we know that God's power is what brings people out of darkness. It's not our wit. It's not our intelligence. It's not our strategies. Uh, it's not any tactic, tactics that helps people to see Jesus. It's the power of God. But yet our job also is to persuade others. We persuade others and we plead with others as if it depends on us while, all, while fully knowing it completely and totally depends on God. And so over the next week, the simple application of this is to do everything possible. Do everything possible to persuade others to come and hear what Christ has done. This week, may we walk into our communities encourage, remembering that this world is not our home. And you know, as we said, while we're passing through this world, we want to grab as many people as possible to come with us into the next. So will you spend more time this week than normal? to pray and to beg God to move in power, for to, to open up blind eyes, for people to see the treasure of Jesus. Maybe God's leading you to fast for a meal or for a day, uh, for a few days, for our Easter service, to pray and beg God to move in power. Yo, I don't want you to miss how God is already moving and working among us. I know for a fact that God is working and saving people among us. I know that God is stirring people. There are people in all of our lives that are searching and wandering and asking questions. Brothers and sisters, God is moving. And will you pray and beg God with me to come in more power, to open up more eyes, to see the treasure of Jesus? What do you need? Who do you need to text this week to invite to our Easter service? Can you take 30 minutes? Or maybe an hour or two this week and canvas your neighborhoods or find an apartment complex or go to your campus or your school or to, at work or, or the ball field and pass out the inviter cards that you have in your seats. We've got stacks of them outside for you all to take when you leave. Can you share our social media graphics on Facebook and, and, and Instagram? How can we fill up our cars this Easter for people to come and hear about what God has done? Because what we know to be true is that the power of the resurrection doesn't wait until Easter. <laughs> no, we have the power of the resurrection with us on our side right now in all of our efforts before Easter. And so will you pray and will you beg and will you plead and courageously seek to persuade others to come and hear about what Christ has done because they too are groaning in this world. But the major difference is that they don't have the hope that tells them and shows them and promises them that their groaning can one day end by trusting in Jesus Christ. New City Church, remember this world is not our home. This life is temporary and we're just passing through it. Will you live today and tomorrow and next week and next year and the rest of your life in good courage knowing that the best has yet to come? I've said this many times, but I want to say it again. There's an old pastor's saying that says there are two things in life forever, and it's the word of God and the souls of men. Will you invest wisely? 
It's something that me and my wife say often, just to kind of keep our lives oriented correctly. When we get to the end of our life, we want to say we laid everything down for the Lord. This is a constant thing we have to continually ask ourselves because our lives are so e- go so easily get disoriented uh, and so easily focused on things of this world. And so simply put, how do you need to reorient your life today? And what about your life is more earthly-minded than heavenly-minded? Maybe there's something in your life that you believe God may be calling you to, and, uh, but you're nervous or you're fearful. So what does courage look like in that situation? Maybe there's a sin struggle that you need to confess and get into the light. Or maybe uh, God may have you reorient your finances to be more strategic for eternal purposes. Or maybe God is showing you you need to be more intentional to serve your spouse and your family. Maybe there's a person in your life that you need to talk to about Jesus or invite them to the Easter service. Or maybe it's a few of those things among others. But what is it? You know, and quite possibly one of the most heavenly-minded things you could do is just to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, many of you may know this, uh, and I know that many of you may not. But the reason our church is named New City Church is because of this very idea that we've talked about today. We don't live for this world. We don't live for this city. We live live for a different city that is to come. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. New City Church, we long for the new city that is to come. It won't be found in this world, but it will be found in the next. You know, one of my favorite poems was written by Pastor C.T. Studd, titled, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. And any man that has stud in his last name, that, that's my guy, okay? Uh, it gets my attention. But I love this poem, and so I want to I read it just to end our time. This is what it says. It's, you can follow along on the screens as well. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding my selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with us, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ 
will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. New City Church, how may God use you this week for eternal causes? Because as we've seen today, this world is not our home. We're just passing through it and we live for another world. Let's pray. God, we need you today. We're thankful that you sent your son for us to give us hope. Father, I pray today that there's someone in our midst, maybe in our room, in this, in here today, or maybe listening or watching online, that they've not trusted in Christ. They would trust in Christ right now. That you would call them out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And they would tell someone. Father, would they, would they boldly and courageously tell someone? Father, we pray as we go into this Easter week, leading into Easter, that we would be courageous as we go into our community. Father, would you help us? We ask this all in Jesus' name.